To Hell with the Hot Dish represents the opinions and musings of three not overly intelligent pastors working to challenge a church long defined by a cliché casserole culture. The thoughts expressed here are their own and not necessarily the thoughts of any larger institution. So feel free to find your seat, stow all expectations for answers in the overhead compartment, and join us on this misguided adventure. This is To Hell with the Hot Dish. misguided adventure that we have affectionately titled to hell with the hot dish i'm alex out of cincinnati ohio and i'm lauren out of cincinnati ohio and i'm kyle not out of cincinnati ohio out of fort worth texas i love how kyle's introduction has he has to qualify where he's from now you know like like, no it's gotta own it no i love it but i love that when when you state where you're from you have to rev- you have to reference from. Cincinnati, Ohio now. <laughs> well, we're the heart. Know. We're the heart of this organization. <laughs> there was a feeling where suddenly I was like, I gotta own them, not that. So you know, I, know what I, it was. I love having Alex in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's it's amazing having a good friend and a buddy here. But but there is something lost on the show that like two of us are in the same location. It was pretty cool before when we could say North Dakota, Ohio, Texas. Say what you mean, Lauren. Tell me. You're sick of me. See, okay. He so wants I you stopped to move. by your house a bunch. <laughs> so I have been sleeping in your backyard when I get lost. So what? I don't know what to tell you, Lauren. Just tell me to leave. I thought you were cool with me eating out of your refrigerator <laughs> when you're not home. You owe you owe my wife ten cups of sugar and three dozen eggs. I don't know. <laughs> it's eight cups of sugar. I'm keeping my own tally. Yeah. And this is uh, this is false. Someone's sneaking sugar, Lauren. Yeah. And why don't you be honest? Well, what are we doing here? Wow, we're all here. Can you imagine all three of us on a podcast together? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Well, it's you good know, to be back. Th- there's so much going on in the world right now that. Um, you know, we've we've been trying to be really proactive here at the hot dish and and schedule out interviews and you know kind of plan in advance and and that's often hard to do in ministry because life happens and things come up. Oh, I mean, there, there's been so much that we haven't talked about that has been going on in our culture and society, and maybe at some point we could spend some time doing that. Um, We're gonna have to know, catch up. Yeah, Charlottesville, Virginia is one of them, and 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 everything Huge. that happened there, um, the hurricane in Houston. And uh, the other hurricane now coming up the coast of Florida as we record. Um, so much happening out in society and in politics, the world. But uh, I sat down a, a week ago with an old colleague of mine, uh, Ryan Canaday, Reverend Ryan Canaday. He's a United Methodist pastor out in Denver, Colorado. And, and I sat down with him for an interview, and it was great to catch up with him. I first met Ryan uh, when I was an intern out at uh, Abiding Hope in Littleton, Colorado, and Ryan was the campus pastor at the University of Denver. So he was the uh, campus pastor at the United Methodist Campus Church there, and the church I was serving uh, helped support his ministry. So I got to know him really well when I was out there, and I always thought if I lived out in Denver, Ryan would be one of the guys I'd want to hang out with all the time. But ministry brought me back to Ohio, but I've been following Ryan for a while now on social media, staying in touch here and there. And he's he just is a, is a really interesting guy who's got a compelling story. And so I sat down to uh, interview Ryan and just learn more about his story um, that's filled with tragedy and addiction and new life and all these new creative things that he's up to. So... I'm really excited. It's a good story. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it was. Uh, it's one of our longer episodes, so stay tuned. But, but I really believe that it's it's well worth it. Yeah, sound wise, it's a little different from what you're used to, folks. It's, this one was done. Um, you did a like a phone interview, so yep. the sound quality isn't the same. But uh, we gave a listen. We we think it's so good. It's it's worth putting out there. It is really really a great conversation. I'm really grateful for Lauren doing the interview because I think it speaks to something that all of us experience in some way or degree in another, especially just conversations about 
um, our faith in the midst of trying times. So, uh, yeah, let's give it a listen. We'll uh, come back with some closing thoughts. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Uh, thank you for uh, taking some time out of your day to sit down with me via iPhones and iPads and computers to um, uh, to record this interview for the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, I want to jump right in because uh, I think our listeners are going to uh, get a lot out of your story. You you have a dynamic story and a, a journey. Uh, you've journeyed throughout life through some really hard times and some really beautiful times. And so I'd love to just hand it over to you and just dive right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Thanks again, Lauren, for having me on the show. You know, I'll, I'll start back in high school. Let's jump all the way back to the high school years. And and when you say how I got to where I am today, uh, I'm assuming you're talking about uh, being a United Methodist pastor. Yeah. Uh, so so let's jump into that story. I grew up in the in the evangelical church in mid Missouri, so pretty conservative evangelical. Uh, by the age of seventeen. I knew I wanted to be a pastor. I had some pretty powerful experiences in the church. It's where I found belonging. It's where I, I found, uh, I discovered a sense of leadership. And I thought, I want to do for others what the church has done for me. And so I decided I was going to go to this small town in Michigan and go to this really small Bible school. And I had never been there before, but I went. I graduated high school, went. Man, I was there for one month. It was my first semester there. And my mom called. It was I'll never forget it. It was a Saturday morning, and she said, uh, Ryan, you need to come home. Your brother Brandon has just been killed in a car accident. Wow. And it was that moment for me where everything was turned upside down. Uh, it was the moment where the God that I had trusted in, the God that I had given my life to, the God that, that I thought was so near and dear to me, that God was nowhere to be found. And so I could never admit that to other people. I could never tell you, if we were talking about this at the time, I could never tell you that I stopped believing in that God, that that God was dead to me. Hmm. Uh, that was too scary to admit, and I'm not even sure I had the language for that. But the truth is that that God was dead. And and that was the hardest thing in my life because I thought, how could this God just abandon us like this? My brother lived a life of drug and alcohol addiction. Okay, He got clean and sober. Uh, he went to a rehab on his own, got clean and sober, was clean and sober for around two years, and then he died in, in a relapse. I hmm. uh, decided to get behind the wheel of a car while drinking, uh, and it didn't turn out well. And I thought, why would God do this to us? How, how would this God, I was so sure this God was going to save his life and do miraculous things through him, and he was going to go on and, and, and do you know great things in the world. And so when God didn't behave the way I thought God should behave, it crushed me yeah. Uh, because for me, God was all about if I pray and I ask, then God is going to step down from the heavens and act and act in a way I think God should act. And so it was uh, there's a great book called uh, Insurrection by Peter Rollins. And he talks about how God has become the deus ex machina, hmm. the God out of the machine, how, how this God is literally at the side of the stage in these ancient uh, Greek plays. And the God figure steps in when there's tension, steps in to resolve the tension. And so for me, God was the deus ex machina, hmm. the, the God out of the machine who would come into my life and, and resolve all that tension. So when God didn't do that, and then you had this finality of death, I couldn't make sense of that God. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was the moment of uh, having everything destroyed. Uh, actually, looking back on it now, it's it's so central to the Christian tradition, having the old things die hmm. so that new things could rise up. We call that resurrection. But that didn't, you know, I can only see that now in looking back at it. No one wants their God to die. But the truth is, for me to really encounter God, that old God had to die. Yeah. So, you know, I, I spent some time, um, I came back home for a while. And I decided to come out to a place called Colorado and uh, finish my college degree. I uh, did a degree in biblical studies, you know, and I came to, again, it was the only categories I had. I came to a pretty conservative school out here in, in the Denver area. It was a place where we had 
come to vacation as a family. So I always loved the mountains and, and it was the only categories I had to pick a, a Christian school. I thought that's what I had to do. But I had a really great New Testament professor. Uh, I, I had a great Old Testament professor too, but this New Testament professor kind of, he walked, he, he walked with me. He journeyed with me. He let me ask the hardest questions. When my life was broken and falling apart, uh, when, I, I, when that old God was dying, I had some big questions, questions I was never allowed to ask. And so he took me under his wing and helped me uh, not discover the answers, but helped me ask the hardest and the best questions. And those questions, I began to find new life in. I began to find a God of new life, which I needed so desperately. Well, I think it's amazing that, you know, you describe this horrible tragedy. I, I can't imagine the the suffering and the pain that you and your family went through losing your brother and and your parents losing a son and how, you know, the, the, you talked about the old God image you had needing to die. But yet it's interesting to me that, that you kept you kept wrestling, though. You, you, you went to a new college and you decided to study, you know, biblical studies. So it's not as yeah. if it's not as if the old God died and you totally quit thinking about the divine or spirituality or God or humanity. It actually drove you to really wrestle with that in a profound way, which I find significant. Yeah, it, it was so much a part of my, like my heritage, my being, my, my entire being. I wanted to figure this stuff out. I wanted to, the spiritual was part of me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't let it go completely, but I was certain, man, this, this God stuff isn't working. There's gotta be, a, there's gotta be another way to think about this. There's gotta be another way to see it. So, you know, when I had that experience in college, um, out here in Colorado, I wanted to, I, I knew I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. I wanted to be a professor because I wanted to do what those professors had done for me. I wanted to help people discover other ways of thinking and looking at the world and behaving in the world. Uh, but, you know, the death of my brother, that's that's only part of the tragedy my story because the truth is addiction runs deep. And, and my uh, and the roots of my family, and uh, one of the hardest things for me to admit was um, that my brother's disease of addiction had also caught up with me. Hmm. And somewhere in my early twenties, you know, in high school, I, w- I wasn't a I wasn't a drinker, I wasn't a partier. In fact, I was labeled as the good kid. My yeah. brother was the bad kid. I was the good kid. Uh, so it's it's. It got really confusing for me in the midst of finding this new life through academia and theological studies. There was other parts of my life still falling apart. Hmm. I had turned to alcohol to yeah. start making sense of things. And man, talk about shame. Talk about shame and secrets. It's when I learned the power of secrets, the power of hiding. You know, I got married right out of college, 23 years old, and I started seminary right out of college. And but, you know, I still had all this brokenness in some of my relationships with family. And, you know, I was just I, it, it was a tough time in my life. I was I was struggling in a relationship with my dad. And uh, I, I found I found comfort. I found peace in the bottle. And it was so hard for me to admit that because I thought I would never be that guy. Yeah, that was my brother. That wasn't me. I was the good kid. Yep. And so it's like the more I tried to hide it, the more I tried to run from it, the more this, the more the alcohol caught up to me. And uh, I started, uh, it, it was an ugly scenario. My, my marriage was suffering because of it. My, my entire life was suffering because of it. But my greatest, the thing I tried hardest at was to not let you know what I was going through. So to hmm. not let you know what my evenings looked like, to not let you know that when I got home, how many trips I made to the liquor store and how many times I tried to quit and how much I hated myself for it. So waking up the next morning uh, with, of course, a terrible hangover and saying, man, I'm never going to do this again. And then five o'clock rolled around and I was right back to where I started. And I had this shame because I was in ministry. You know, I, I was a pastor. And how come I can't beat this? How, how come I can't get over this? I, I thought God was for me. It was, it was kind of that feeling again of, God, why are you abandoning me? Why are you leaving me like this? And and why won't you help me beat this? And what I found was, um, for me, freedom came when I was able to be vulnerable 
and when I was able to surrender. Hmm. When things got bad enough, I mean, we talk about sometimes the the uh, hitting rock bottom. And for me, I was so tired of living that way. I was so tired of hiding. I was so tired of the secrets. Things were starting to catch up to me. And uh, I finally had to go into, you know, I went into my first 12-step meeting, and I went in shaking and trembling and with fear. And I said those words that I thought I would never say, and that was, my name is Ryan, and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, scary. <laughs> Don't want to be back in that place, and yet it was the place that saved my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I think, you know, I, I, I just want to thank you so much for sharing and, and being being open with your story because, you know, I know a lot of our listeners are um, faithful, faithful Christian people. And many of them, many of the people who listen to this podcast are faith leaders. They're youth directors, yeah. they're pastors, they're leaders. And, and I think that uh, being in this vocation of professional or whatever you call it, Christian ministry, there, there can be these taboos around, you know, a false notion that that we've got it all figured out, right? That that yeah, we're yeah. we're somehow uh, a super disciple of Jesus, and our lives are the perfect picture of morality or piety or or sobriety or cleanliness or whatever you. But but we're people that are that are real people that struggle with real things, and I I think it's people like you that help break beyond that cliche culture uh, by telling your story. I'm curious though. So, so here you are, you know, you're someone who suffers a great tragedy at the hand of addiction from your brother's death, and, yeah. and it drives you to, to, to wrestle theologically, and you find new life through a professor who, who embraces your wrestling. You find grace, and you find a God of inclusion and a God of acceptance. Mm -hmm. You find new life in the United Methodist tradition of John Wesley, and, yeah. then, and then here you are in seminary and you're a pastor and, and, and catch us up a little bit there about the other things happening in your life during this season that was marked before you went to that 12-step program. What did your life look like? What what were some of those things going on in your marriage and, and being a father and, and, and how, how, how were you trying to hold everything together at that time? Yeah, and, and let me back up just a little bit because I never, I never really said how I became a United Methodist pastor. Uh, what asking all the questions led me to a different tradition, a different uh, and to a different denomination. You know, leaving the evangelical church, and uh, that can be a, another a, another podcast for a different day. But all kinds of pain and leaving one's faith tradition, yeah. Uh, and even though it's still all part of the the big Christian circle, it was leaving the evangelical church and finding new life in the United Methodist Church because for me the United Methodist Church was a place I knew nothing about it. I didn't I what like I say I wasn't raised Methodist, but it was the place that welcomed my questions. It was the place where I could ask the big questions. But that's not enough to save us. Asking the questions isn't enough to save us. You could still have all this unsettledness and mm. um, lack of peace in your soul. And that's where you know, when I got sober, that's when I think I really found God. That's when I found what serenity was like. So the things I was lacking in those days, when you talk about my marriage and, and what it was like to be a father, you know, I have three kids now, uh, age seven, four, and one and a half. You know, when my oldest girl, who's now seven, when she was, when she was two, you know, I'll never forget waking up that morning and Tammy, my wife, saying to me, Sailor was trying to wake you up last night and she couldn't wake you up and she was scared. And see, it was that moment where I thought, hmm. man, I, I, I don't want to live this way. My, my kids, you know, we never jump into fatherhood thinking, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to screw up my kids' lives. Right. But we see it happen all the time. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I'm becoming that dad. My two-year-old daughter can't wake me up off the couch because I drank too much. And my wife would say, things that before we go out, she would say with a great amount of uh, fear in her, and I could see it in her eyes, she would say, are you going to drink too much tonight? Yeah. And I'd say, no, 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 I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm good. Are you going to be able to drive tonight? Because we didn't, until, five, you know, I've been sober for just over four and a half years, and, uh, you know, anytime we went on a date before that, she drove. Right. So it was a, it was a new thing in sobriety for me to find out that Hey, I can drive on a date. I can drive my wife to dinner and come home, and I don't have to worry about how I'm gonna, how, how we're gonna get from here to there, and how it's gonna be awkward to say, Tammy, you need to drive because I had too much. And uh, you know, when I was 21, I got a DUI, and 
man, there's some pain and suffering that comes along with that, some consequences. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't want those consequences again. So, but finding new life and that surrender to saying, God, I can't do this. I cannot. I've tried everything I know of. I tried to uh, just give it up and just do the weekends. I tried to switch from beer to wine, from uh, white liquor to brown liquor. I mean, I tried it all, and it sounds silly now that I can say it out loud, but until I came to a point of surrender, and I used to kind of you know, mock that word a little bit. It's an old-time word. It's a, it's a Christian word. We need to do away with that word. And, and there's so much beauty in surrender and letting letting your weakness give you a new strength. Right. That, that's what I discovered. And tell me, so tell us about, you know, heading into that first 12-step meeting and and the journey then because, you know, I – well, first of all, too, like I, I can relate to, to so many parts of your story and I don't want to make this about me, but but I think that so much of what you you went through and, and are going through is universal. The circumstances might be different yeah, for different right. people, but we all have a similar story. And, and mine was, you know, I, um, I joined the army right out of high school and went away to all my training and boot camp. And I actually joined the army as a chaplain assistant, someone who was supposed to hang around the chaplain. And, and, uh, I, I had that calling from an early age to be involved in ministry, but I also wanted to serve our country. But I joined the reserves. So my first two years of army life were spent one weekend a month going to my military unit. And I was viewed by all of these soldiers as the chaplain assistant. And they often just called me chappy or chaplain. And so, you know, they make certain assumptions about you and your life when you're, you know, in that under that banner. And then I would leave my unit and go back to college And I was a Sigma Chi, you know, in a fraternity at Ohio State. And my weekends and weeks were marked by partying and excessive drinking and doing all those stereotypical fraternity things. And so many weekends I would show up to that unit as the chaplain, quote unquote, and I would feel like I was a whitewashed tomb. You know, I felt as if I wasn't a whole person because here they're they're viewing me as this person who has a deep faith or or is is living and loving like Jesus, but really I was just seeking a party self-indulgent lifestyle. And it wasn't until later in the war for me that I, you know, when I was deployed that that I had that dark night of the soul wondering what do I believe and what do I think and I came back and from the war and I found a campus ministry. It wasn't a professor, it was a campus pastor who allowed me to wrestle with questions. And, um, and so, so much of your story, it just, it just speaks straight to my heart too, because it, it just is really encouraging for me. And I imagine so many of our listeners could relate their journey to your journey. So I just wanted to lift that up. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, but tell us, tell us about going into the AA meeting or the 12 step meeting uh-huh. and what was that like and what was the process like of, you know, I imagined it wasn't like sobriety came overnight. I mean, tell us yeah, about your journey and, and maybe so, someone's listening right now who's who's been telling themselves all the lies that, that you told yourself for, for that period of time. And um, I just believe Jesus is going to minister through this podcast today. Yeah, so do I, Lauren. Uh, you know, I think what, one of our greatest fears is if they find out whatever your thing is, if they find out, will will they still like me? If you know who I really am, will you still like me? Will you still want me? Can I still be this whatever in the world? So, you know, on January 7, 2013, I was asleep on the couch because I drank too much and I passed out on the couch and it was about 6, 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, people said, man, did you have a bad day the day before? Did something happen? No. I had a good day. Actually, I led a worship service that Sunday night. I led a worship service, and from that worship service, I went to the liquor store. And uh, that morning, January 7th, Monday morning, my wife, Tammy, she comes down the stairs, and and she had tears in her eyes, and she was holding an empty bottle. I thought I hid it well enough. I was great at hiding empty bottles, and I thought I hid it, but she found it. And uh, she had tears in her eyes, and she said, what are we going to do? You know, she didn't say, what are you going to do? Wow. I'm out of here. This is, what are we going to do? And man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. So I said, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this. I'm stopping. And so I called my counselor, a, a marriage counselor that we had years before, like five years before that. And I said, 
I said, Sue, I, I've got a problem and uh, I can't stop drinking. And she said, great, I'm glad you called. And I said, well, can we set up an appointment? And she said, I tell you what, I would love to see you, but not before you get involved in some sort of support group. And I thought, what does that, and it pissed me off to be honest. And I remember hanging up the phone thinking, I'm so bad. Things have gotten so bad for me. My counselor who makes money off of me won't even see me. Wow. And so um, I told Tim, I came down the stairs. Tammy was at a kitchen. And I said, can you believe it? Sue said she won't even see me. She said, seriously, well, what'd she say? She, I said, well, she won't see me until I, until I go to a support group. And she said, so why don't you go? It was like this beautiful clarity that she had that I couldn't see and all my resentment and anger. And Why don't you go? And so that was that day I went to my first 12-step meeting. And, uh, man, I, I will never forget it. I drove and my, my hands were sweaty and I pulled up to this building that I had found online. And, and there's no signs because, of course, it's anonymous. So it's not like you see a building that says Alcoholics Anonymous right. here. You know, so, um, man, I went into that meeting and I thought, I cannot do this. This isn't me. What if people see me here? You know, my greatest fear was what if I'm actually seen? And how much, how many of us have that same fear? What if I'm actually seen? Will they want me? Will they like me? Hmm. And I, um, I went in and sat in that circle and people loved me. And I, I was waiting for me to say those words. My name's Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. And then for people to judge me, but that's not what I experienced. I experienced this really true, authentic love and people who, took me by the hand and said, there's a way out of this. There's a way out of this chaos, but you have to let go of it. You know, you have to, and, and you don't even know what that means when someone tells you that right. you have to surrender and there's a higher power, which, which I call God. And, and I find life through Jesus Christ. But what that surrender looks like is, is dealing with my resentments. So for me, there was 12 steps. My question was, all right, let's get, let's get through this. Let's right. do it as fast as possible. How can I get from one to twelve? Yeah, let's take the and, hill. Yeah, <laughs> take take the easy way. I want I want the easy way out, the quick way. And a buddy of mine, he took me outside and he showed me this staircase. And he says, "Go ahead, jump up to step nine. I said, Man, you're crazy. I can't do that. He said, "Exactly, one step at a time. It's not a race. Let's do this thing right." And so what I learned is I had a lot of resentments in my life that I had to deal with. I had amends that I had to make to people that I had hurt. And I thought to myself, well, I can never do this. I can never do this. Hmm. Uh, this is forgiveness stuff. I can't do this. You don't understand what she's done to me. You don't know what he's done. And the truth is you can do it hmm. with God's help. When you are, when you, when you run out of your own resources and you say, God, I can't do this. It's like then God says, all right, let's do it together. Hmm. You know, but as long as you keep trying to do it on your own, I know what it's like to do it on my own. I, fa I fail at it every single time. But when I can let go of that, and, and I, I'm trying not to minimize that and make that simple, because the truth is if you, if you start working through your resentments and you start working through your life in a serious way, it'll be the hardest work you ever do. Hmm. And for me, it was, you know, it was a, that first year was tough. It yeah. was tough because I was finding a new way and, Anytime you find a new way, it's it's hard. But yeah. uh, man, life is so much better now. It is so much. There's so much more joy. There's more peace. It doesn't mean it's easier, right. but it is hands down better. Well, so so would you say? I mean, and correct me if I'm off base here. You know, would you say you you went into that AA meeting with a strong sense of I have a drinking problem? But through through the twelve steps and through the process, you're actually forced to confront something much deeper. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, what so would you say that I, is? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that is actually a great question because I thought I have a drinking problem. I just needed what I need to do is have you all teach me how to drink responsibly. That's what I wanted. How can I? I want to be like my wife. She can have she can have one glass of wine or two glasses of wine and call it good. I could never do that. Still to this day, I believe I, could, I can't do that. Right. But I had my, so I got a sponsor right away. Day one, I got a sponsor. I still meet with him every single week. It's awesome. been almost five years later. We still meet every single week. And uh, I will, man, we started in his home. I'd go to his home uh, Thursday evenings. We'd sit at his kitchen table. And on our first meeting, he said, this might be hard for you to hear because you're a pastor. But your problem isn't drinking. 
your problem is you have a spiritual disconnect. Mm. And man, I, so I'm just just nice enough to sit across from the kitchen table and shake my head and say, yeah, 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 that, you're right, you're right. But inside, man, I was giving him the middle finger. I was cursing him out. And I wanted to say, man, you don't know. I've, I've got my biblical studies degree. I've got a master's of divinity degree. I've been a campus minister. Now I'm a pastor. Don't tell me I have a spiritual disconnect. Don't tell me I'm disconnected from God. But that's exactly what it was. It's a spiritual disconnect. And all the alcohol was was a, was a, was a relief from that. I mean, it was just a, a symptom, right? The problem wasn't alcohol. The problem was I tried to control everything in my world. The problem was I couldn't forgive. The problem was I couldn't let others in or I couldn't let God in. That was the problem. I was spiritually mm. disconnected, so I drank. Wow. Um, wow. A profound truth in my life that uh, I can't I can't lose sight of that, you know? Yeah. That's, that's got to be, I mean, just extremely hard to hear as someone who, who publicly is viewed as a religious authority, a religious yeah. leader. And it sounds like you had just tremendous support from Tammy and your sponsor in that community. And I'm just, it, it just highlights the necessity of us to, to actually walk together hand in hand with, with the body, with the body of Christ, with, with sisters and brothers who are going through a thousand different things. But, but we live in a highly individualized world where we, right. we, we bottle everything up and keep it so personal. And it, yeah. I call it the suburban sickness. You know, you're in the suburbs now of Denver. I'm in the suburbs of Cincinnati. And and it's not just ministry that I'm doing with people. This is my life. This is, yeah. you know, we. I am immersed in the suburban culture that, that puts on a facade and, and manicures the lawn and dresses the kids appropriately and takes the nice back-to-school picture on the front doorstep. <laughs> But, but what it doesn't show is the fighting and the internal anxiety and the struggle and the depression and the loneliness that so many people feel um, yeah. and that they can't let people into. What, do, do you think that loneliness was at all a part of your story, too, that deep inside you felt lonely and you, you turned to a release to, to not feel certain emotions? Yeah. I, I, you know, I was battling uh, major uh, – issues of anger and no you know most people around me wouldn't have described me as an angry guy hmm. but i had these emotions you know pinned up inside of of anger and i didn't know how to de- i didn't know how to deal with those yeah and it's like when i drank i thought i became a better person so i thought i thought it was making me more hmm. open more honest and it was doing the exact opposite because all it was was a mask for me wow uh, but it still went to that that central question of if they really know who I am, will they like me? Because I can't handle any more rejection. I can't do the rejection thing. I'm not willing to go there. If they really know me, will they like me? And that's something I'm passionate about today. Yeah. Well, clearly it is. And how to tell us a little bit about that journey then. Okay. So your wife's in the inner circle, obviously now, Mm -hmm. and your, your sponsors in the inner circle and the group at the 12 step, what was it like to expand to be an open book to more and more people then, especially your church community. I mean, how, yeah, cause that, I imagine so many people would be like, man, okay. Yeah. It's one thing for my, my closest loved ones to find, find out, mm-hmm. but I don't want my coworkers to know. I don't want the other teachers at my school to know. I don't want my friend's parents to know. I don't, but, but you, you are an advocate now. You, you are yeah. living your story to help other people. But I can't imagine that was easy. And how did you, what was that like? Yeah, uh, so I'll drop a name on you, a name you're probably familiar with, Nadia Bowles Weber. Oh, yeah. The great tradition of Lutheranism, right? Yeah. So uh, she's been very open about her story of recovery. Uh, she was one I met early on with. I went to a coffee shop with her, and uh, I went to a meeting with her, 12-7, an AA meeting. And then uh, we had coffee together afterwards, and she said something really profound to me that I didn't I didn't know at the time. I didn't really understand it, but it makes so much sense now. She said, uh, always make sure you do ministry out of your scars rather than your wounds. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's an odd state. What do you do with that? And now it makes so much sense to me because in my first year of sobriety, I wanted everyone to know. I thought, man, people need to know the healing that I found. 
But the truth is, the first year, you're still, at least for me, I'll use eye language here, I was still broken and a mess and, 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 and right in the midst of healing. And so, you know, I was reminded of that. Don't, don't go share your story too soon. Don't go open your heart too soon. There's a time for it. But now is not the time. And I had to have good mentors in my life remind me of that. So it wasn't until really about two years ago. So, you know, three years in my journey of sobriety to where I felt comfortable. And I leaned on some other mentors in my life to say, do you think I'm ready to, to share this publicly? What will be the consequences? And what I've learned is anytime we're vulnerable, if you want to open up and open your heart to others, you can get hurt. I mean, that, that's just the truth, right? Anytime we're vulnerable in our relationships, yep. that other person or those people, they have the power to hurt you. Yeah. But it also opens yourself up to be loved and experience love and grace and healing in really profound ways. So, you know, about two years ago, I shared with my congregation, I, I did a sermon on it. I preached on it. Wow. Uh, about my journey. And I didn't go into details because the details... You know, you can make it too much about your journey and yep. you don't want to just pull people into the details for the for the gore of it. You want it to actually lead to healing. But what I found was it's opened up my ministry in ways I could never imagine. So, so much of my ministry now is about uh, addiction and recovery. And people come to me on a, on a weekly basis saying their lives are falling apart because of drugs or alcohol. So it's opened up my ministry. It's, it's given me a new role. That it's like God says, hey, this is part of your story. Now go use it to help others heal. Go use it to participate in healing in the world. Wow. Um, so so my, the congregation has been very supportive. They've helped give me the courage to live openly, to live authentically. Yeah. Because uh, that's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. What would you tell someone right now who hasn't gone to that first 12-step meeting or they, they, they're still hiding a bottle, or they're still waking up with a great deal of shame, what encouragement, what word, what would you say to them if they're listening to our show right now? That's a great question. You know, I think I would say to them, simply, it doesn't have to be this way. There is a way out. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be this way, but it's going to take some hard work. It's going to be really hard. There's not an easy way, you know, you didn't get into this overnight, so you're not going to get out of it overnight, but there's a whole community of people who are willing to walk with you and show you the way out, Wow! but it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to stay in the chaos. Life is, life is way better. God has way bigger and better things for you than this. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ryan, for... For sharing your story, and and I know that this is a you know that th- this is a part of um, a part of your story, and I'm also aware that you've got a lot of other exciting things now going on in your life. You're you're a pastor in Denver at a great church, St. Luke's, right? Yeah, you're yeah. at St. Luke's. St. Luke's, and you've got some other creative thing. You and your wife just wrote a book together. Yeah, we did. We wrote a book together. Uh, you know, about three years ago, we started. Uh, leading marriage retreats together, you know, we because we found we discovered new life together, and and of course that that's part of my sobriety story. But we started discovering new life together in our marriage, uh, and, and we actually love each other a lot. We actually enjoy spending time together, and so we started leading these retreats together, marriage retreats and couples retreats, and she does all kinds of other retreats. But what we found, we started a group called. Uh, we just were meeting in our homes and it was called, a, we called it a Y group. And we wrote the, just basic notes on a, on my iPad together about finding your why and finding who you are and the things God has for you. And so the group went so well, we did it with other groups and we led just different groups called Y groups. And over time we said, uh, Hey, you know what we should do? We should, we should get this in a, in a curriculum so other people could have it. And I was so big on saying, no, I'm not going to write a book. Everyone's writing a book. I'm not going to write a book. So I'll write a curriculum, but we're not calling it a book. (laughs) Well, as we're writing, uh, lo and behold, it became a book, and it's called Whiteboarding Your Why, an interactive approach to living a better story. So it's, it's, you go, get together with a group, you can do it on your own, but powerful things happen when you get together in community, and you start telling your story and hearing the story of others, and then you start looking at what you're passionate about, 
why you're passionate about these things and how you live into your why. Because it's never about your what, it's about why you're doing the what. Your why makes your what so much more powerful. So when I know why I'm a pastor, then being a pastor all of a sudden becomes much more powerful. It has way deeper meaning for me. So right. it's all about finding your why. It's awesome. Where can people find the book? Can they buy it on Amazon? Can they get it? Yeah, you can get it Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I think it's on Target. All, all the major websites you can get it on. Whiteboarding your why. And it's we try, We worked really hard to keep it under 50 pages. We made it big pages so you can write in these pages. And like I say, you can do it as an individual, but we always encourage it, small groups are a, a better way to, to function in the world. Awesome. And it, you guys are you guys have developed now or you're developing a copy for Faithbox too, right? Yeah, Faithbox is this great company that we just discovered. Uh, you know, they reached out to us and said, hey, we want to use your book. They send a little box to your door every month. So it's like a subscription you subscribe to for a monthly box. And in this box is, uh, they call them do good products, products from all over the world that are from companies that give back in the world. So a lot of fair trade products, a lot of international all over the world but then they put a little um, like a devotional booklet in it and then also they do a book and so our book it was chosen for the month of september awesome so people will be receiving that box uh september 1st i don't know when this episode will air they may have it by then and that book will also we think we're going to have that on amazon too so it's a little smaller version same exact content just a different cover they redesigned the cover for a faith box edition uh, but just a smaller book. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. I, I have a copy of the, uh, the the large copy, The Whiteboarding Your Why, An Interactive Approach to Living a Better Story. And I've just started working through it. And I love it. It's it's a great it's a great resource. It's, uh, Sweet. it's, it's clean and simple by uh, Ryan and Tammy Canaday. So so look it up, uh, listeners, and, and support support Ryan for sure. And you also, I wanted to mention before we, we kind of wrap up here, you're also – working on launching a podcast yourself, right? Tell us a little yes. bit about that and what, you know, the title of it and may, when maybe we could expect it. We'll, we'll be sure to promote it when it does come out, but tell us about it. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Uh, thanks for promoting that. And you you were a huge help when we talked about it just uh, last week. and You gave me some advice on podcasting. It's a world I know very little about, but I have teamed up with uh, a lady named Gargi Argawala, She's a meditation teacher, yoga teacher, and I am not meditation, right? Like, <laughs> I, I took a meditation class in seminary, yeah. and we had to sit for 20 minutes in silence, and that was the hardest thing I'd ever done. I don't think I can do it. It's hard, man. If we, like, it's just not in my bones, so I, but I know it's good. I've, ta- I've seen enough people get benefit from it. I know it's good. Anyway, I preached a sermon on the third way, the third way thinking – you know, I was really influenced by a guy named Walter Wink, a biblical scholar, who really developed third-way thinking. But this lady, Gargi, she heard my sermon on YouTube, and she said, oh, my goodness, we need to do something with third-way thinking. And so we talked a few times, and she said, well, what about a podcast? And I said, that'd be cool, but I know nothing about it. So anyway, we just got together, and we started coming up with ideas on third-way thinking. And we've got a few episodes out, and we hope to be launching it soon. I want to say the next couple of weeks. By the time this episode airs, I I hope it's out, possibly. We'll we'll be sure to follow up and let our listeners know when it is. And, you know, my my synopsis of this third way thinking, if you're thinking, what what is third way thinking? Is that, you know, we live in a world of uh, that that polarizes everything. There's there's yes and there's no. There's black and there's white. There's right and there's wrong. And third way thinking is trying to approach it from a third way, saying, actually, there's so much more happening here. And let's and and obviously, you know, so much of what what we find intriguing as Christians about Jesus is Jesus was a third way thinker. Jesus was always responding to a question with a deeper question and pointing pointing to a greater truth. So I I can't. So you guys are going to take topics, right? That that we're taking topics and. And I'm so glad you said that because Jesus has hugely influenced me on third way thinking and and presenting that third option uh, and and on so many areas of my life. But so we're taking a topic, just giving a short story, a short synopsis of that topic. And then Gargi is leading us through a prayer and a meditation, a place to get centered with yourself and, and so that we can actually be aware of what God is doing in our world. So it's a topic, talk about a little bit and then some quiet space. 
for you to find some centering. And we want to have these on Monday mornings so that you can start your week off with a bit of centering and gratitude in your life. And uh, I hope people dig it. Yeah, sounds great. Well, hey, Ryan, um, I want to do something that uh, that we probably don't do enough on this podcast. I want to I want to yeah. close out our time with just uh, to offer up a prayer for for you and your ministry and your your openness and also for people listening that that have been undoubtedly impacted by this conversation. Sound good to you? Yeah, let's do it, man. I love it. All right, man. Well, let, let let's pray. God, uh, we know that you are a God of love and new beginning and possibility. Um, so God, thank you so much for Pastor Ryan Canaday and his story, for his willingness to come on to the internet airwaves and share with total transparency his own journey of addiction and recovery and new life. Thank you for his ministry. Bless him and Tammy, his wife, and the people of St. Luke's. Bless his work with his book and with the new podcast. And Lord, we also ask that you would you would give courage to those of us listening to live our lives with total vulnerability and transparency. Help us and those who are listening, Lord, to reach out and seek help that we might need. Um, I pray for those who might be struggling right now with addiction or with um, with anything that, that, that is holding them back and keeping them captive from living free, abundant lives in this world. So God, um, send people like Ryan into their, into their lives to walk with them and journey with them. Uh, we love you, God. Uh, thank you for Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, brother. Yeah, man. Well, hey, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be sure to follow up with you and love to have you back anytime to talk about anything. You're a great voice. And if you're in the Denver area and listening, I know we've got lots of uh, listeners in Denver and in Colorado. Check out St. Luke's. Uh, not telling you to leave your own church if you're in one, but if you uh, if you're looking, if you're if you're kind of a nomad right now and you're looking for someone and and a religious leader and uh, check out St. Luke's. What community in Denver are you in? We're in a place called Highlands Ranch, which is just the south, just south of Denver. Yeah, so uh, St. Luke's United Methodist in Highlands Ranch is where you can uh, you can find Ryan if you live in that area. Well, hey, thank you so much, and uh, and blessings to you and, and, and to your wife, Tammy. Tell her I said hello. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Good to be here today. All right. Welcome back. What a powerful interview. Lauren, thank you again for doing that. And yeah, That was great. Thanks for doing that and sharing that story and getting that word out there. Yeah. Well, what, what's amazing about it is when I was out in Colorado and and uh, helping out with the campus ministry, that was in that was in the height of Ryan's struggle with addiction. Um, and, okay. I, and, I, and I had, um, you know, I had no idea about that. Um, sure. You know, um, a couple of times he and I got beers and talked about the campus ministry and just talked about life. And and, I, I you know, outside looking in, I had no idea that that he was. Uh, in 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 a fight for his life that that he was struggling with um, with all these things and uh, and I've just stayed in touch with him and and really have admired a lot of what he's doing what he talked about in the episode his his book he wrote with his wife Tammy whiteboarding your why his new podcast that actually has just launched um, called Third Way Thinking. Uh, so that's super interesting. So, so that's live now in, in, in iTunes and any, everywhere you get a podcast. So, so you know, subscribe now. Check it out. To, yeah, Third Way Thinking. But I just – I was staying in touch with him via social media and I thought, man, this would be a great guy to talk to. And I had no idea actually until we sat down to record this interview that this was a part of his journey, this, this journey towards new life through addiction. And when we sat down a day before – we were going to record. I asked him. I just said, you know, what what's on your heart? What's on your mind? We can talk about anything you want to. And and he said, well, let me let me tell you a story. And uh, so he told me this, and and uh, he agreed to to be open and vulnerable about that, which I think is just remarkable as a person in ministry, not only to to open himself up to his own community, but to all of our listeners. Just really humbled that Ryan would do that. 
Yeah. What's well, a heck of a testimony of healing? And that's I like that part where you were saying, like, you know, talking about um, your wounds versus your scars, as Nadia Bowles Weber put it. Um, I think that's that's a really profound thing that we get to have him. He was willing to share it in this medium, which is really brave. And I'm super grateful because I think his kind of I, I think this part that struck me the most was his line where he said, like, I was struggling with anger to anybody you'd ask they would never describe me that way, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But the idea of this, like, kind of life that we can live where we're showing half of ourselves, just a part mm-hmm. of ourselves, there's this, like, this tempest underneath that's that's whirling and can be just breaking our hearts. Um, for him to, to be so vulnerable and saying, like, I just didn't really think that was a thing. I mean, by all, it's like his outward self he had convinced himself was his whole self, you know? Yeah. And I, I thought that was so brave of him to talk about that because I think when you're in that to hear somebody else say it, it's powerful yeah. because I mean, that's, that's something I've talked about as like a pretty jovial person. Like I always get like when, when you hear these stories of happy people that have these, you know, their, their outward expressions. So this, and I know my personality type is that I avoid pain pretty actively, you know? And I'm like, I always have to say that I, I see a counselor and I'm like, Oh, I just, I don't think I'm beyond that happening to me, you know, mm-hmm. and it's so encouraging to hear somebody who's like, no, you're right. And it's good for you to ask that. And it's not wrong of you to be seeking out people who can help uh, wrestle with those things. I just think the vulnerability is so key. Like it's it's literally a lifesaver. Um, it's it's powerful. I loved it. Yeah. I, I was really captivated by I mean, what, number one, what you're saying is the idea is that y- you wouldn't really know what was going on with another person and that often we, we think it's right. a, a personal thing, right? And we think, oh, my private self. Yeah. Yeah. We think it's a private self. And, and that, and I know, I'm sure that happens more times than I realize that there's people that I don't even see that part of them. And then I was, when you kind of hold that, that's how we conventionally think about it and see it and experience it is, is I'm maybe only getting a, one side of a person. And then the thing that kept striking me during the interview was where we were talking about where he and his wife were saying, well, what are we going to do together? And right. this idea of God beckoning us to, uh, you know, let's do this work together that even though we only see in part, we keep getting driven back to in a community that this is actually something that we do holistically together as a community. I just think that's really, that's a profound uh, piece that kept getting highlighted for me when everywhere I look around, I probably don't experience people that way, that holistically. I just think that's really profound. Well, and Ryan echoed that in his advice when I said, what would you say when I asked him, Mm -hmm. what would you say to someone who's struggling with addiction right now? And he said that that there's a whole community of people out there that that want to walk with you and support you and that you're not in this alone. And, you know, he had that modeled for him by his wife day one of coming coming to, you know, being exposed, so to speak, and 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 having to face this reality and what a powerful gift it was that she gave him in that solidarity. And that got me thinking a lot about like that. So much of this, that's the role of the church. Like that's the role of the body. Like the body of Christ is is to be in solidarity with all members of the body that, mm-hmm. you know, and when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And what does it mean for us to be so interconnected that that we help to heal one another and point to the God who can make all things new? That, it's just powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, that was that was what was striking when he talked about his realizing his addiction isn't like addiction is a chemical thing. Absolutely. It's also like a very um, relational thing when he pointed out it was about a disconnect mm. and that for mm. many people, that's a popular that's a very popular thing. And like I read it in like psychology, things about addiction, about like um, connection is sobriety, like sobriety exists with connection the idea of doing this all by yourself is like so out there on the margins like that's why i mean that's why these step programs are so so helpful is because its first kind of idea is connections making relationships 
having people you're going to be accountable to. And it's, it's so striking that when she says, what are we going to do? I'm like, man, that is like, that is the only way is it, it's done together. And it's shouldn't be too, so profound to us as we sit here and stand in uh, pulpits on Sunday saying where we're going isn't a, a single singular individual journey. It's a communal one. We're doing this yeah. together. And I, and that's so simple. And I don't think I'd ever made those connections before, you know, that, that, that's, that those, that goes together that way, that when we're connected together, we hold each other accountable, that we're sobriety is connection. I just had not thought about that. It was, I, I'd read it before because I mean, that yeah. addictions in every family, you know, like I've, but, and how many people we talk with that struggle with, but to hear so many people say like it, what there was no way out by myself yeah you know yeah and man that's that's profound that that yeah good interview and that idea about this like you said the spiritual disconnect right that we always experience or that, right. that he talks about and he's about his getting, experience yeah yeah his experience and i just think you know we, we like to say in our society maybe we're now more spiritual than we are religious or whatever people want to say but yeah i think our societies in some ways is more spiritually disconnected than than ever before in some way. And yeah. I, I think For that's some way folks, more yeah. common. What do you think? Well, I, I think, think it's, it's way beca- more common. I think it's because we, we, we've all found in our society ways to medicate our emotions and yeah. medi- medicate, you know, we're talking further with Ryan about what he meant by that. You know, um, you know, he clearly talks about addiction as, as a disease, as, as something that runs deep in, in his family. Yes. But but when that mentor said, you know, that that you have a spiritual disconnect um, and that might offend you because you're a pastor, how he was angry at that statement, but he knew it was so true. And that's why he was angry was the reality that the thing that was actually deeper and and even even more ingrained into him than than the alcohol was an emotional pain and yeah. and a struggle through anger and sadness, the loss of his brother, other things in his life, and and the the alcohol was a way to medicate that. And the spiritual disconnect there is that we're not dealing in a healthy way with our emotions often. And so, if we are predisposed through genetics, through you know our our family, you know DNA to 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 be more likely to to have those addictive genes, then if we're not doing the emotional work. And the spiritual work of processing, being in community, being accountable to others, um, then it's easy to fall into trying to medicate ourselves and numb ourselves. And I, and I see that all yeah. the time, especially in yeah. this, in you know, it's anywhere. It's 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 in any setting. But you know, my setting is in the suburbs, and I, and I see that a lot because people are trying to put on the face as if everything's all put together. I call it the suburban sickness. This idea that like. Mm-hmm. We're all we're all diagnosed with it, but none of us really know how sick we are until something happens where there's a reckoning, and and you have to right. you have to come to and realize like you know I can have a manicured lawn and and kids that are in all the programs or you know drive the right car, but deep down I'm I'm bankrupt, and uh, yeah. and what does that mean? What what does it mean for us to face that with with humility, but also boldness to say, you know. I'm going to be my true self and and I'm going to rally people around me that are going to be life-giving. I appreciate, I think for me, the, the, the final thing that stuck out to me was this honesty too. And he doesn't really, uh, a lot of people talk about addiction and they talk about like the roots of it in two distinct like kind of worlds. And he blended them both together. One is that it's all just chemical predisposition, like hooks. Um, it's all chemical. And others say, oh, it's all spiritual warfare. It's all this. He basically, it's both. You know, it's not just one or the other. I mean, we, I, I, I'm happy he said it's a disease because it really is legitimately different for some people. You know, like there are just genetic triggers that make this worse in some families and some, uh, communities. So I was, I was happy at how he did that. I, I, I appreciate him putting it that way that he didn't try to just make it, Oh, turns out, no, 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 it's not that. It's, it's not that I'm predisposed to addiction. It's uh, my spiritual warfare alone. No, because there are people who could be very, very faithful, spiritually rooted, who could still become addicts of something, you know, like, I don't think that's fair. And when, when we make it one or the other, he very much blended them together, recognizing both realities and the treatment then he had to seek out 
recognizing that, which was just was was not just community, but was also community. Uh, the the program itself of talking about the real addiction and learning about what that means for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just thought it was great. I loved it. It was honest. It had a lot of integrity to it. I I thought it was solid. Yeah. So. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah, you guys are welcome. And, uh, you know, if anyone out there is listening, once again, you know, and, and you're struggling with something and, and you've been fighting it alone and you've been making promises to yourself but waking up the next day and nothing's really changed, you know, seek out a local AA meeting and seek, seek out a local pastor who can definitely point you to an AA meeting um, that happens in your area. You're, you're not fighting anything alone. Um, I'm excited, guys, uh, because next week we are going to interview author John Armstrong, John H. Armstrong, about his new book, Costly Love, The Way to True Unity for All the Followers of Jesus. Uh, John Armstrong is a uh, prolific writer who's written over 15 books. Uh, He's been a pastor for over 20 years and is the president and founder of Act 3 Network. You've probably heard about Act 3 in some way or you've been influenced by it, whether you know it or not. Uh, One of his most popular books is Your Church is Too Small, Why Unity in Christ's Mission is Vital to the Future of the Church. He's a great guest, a great author, so we're excited to sit down with him in a week or so, and that will most likely be the next episode that comes out after this one. So stay tuned to to learn more about John Armstrong. And if you want to get ahead of the game, you can buy his book wherever books are sold, Costly Love uh, by John Armstrong. That's the interview we're going to line up for you guys next time. Cool. All right. Well, anything else? Anybody else have any updates? Kyle, no? Comments, questions, concerns? Okay, let's get out of here then. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, to hell with the hot dish. To hell with the hot dish. To hell with the hot dish. Bye.